Well, welcome today to Easter weekend at Life Church. We're so glad that you're here with us. I'm the Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's delighted to see you. And thanks again. This is good to see everybody here today. I, I want to begin today. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to John chapter 3. I'm going to be in the book of John today, John chapter 3. I want to begin today with, with talking about this. Um, what, why we do Easter? Why, why, why do we? I mean, I know everybody kind of goes, well, you know, I kind of get the whole death, burial, and resurrection thing. But, you know, Easter's a time where we celebrate the gift that God gave us to Jesus Christ, this gift of eternal life. And, and I don't want to make it, I don't think the Bible makes it complicated. I, I want to just really look at, at this passage of Scripture, this one verse. Many of you know it, John chapter 3, verse 16. But I want to go there today and look at that. And because uh, I think it, it tells the reason why and, and the whole reason why we're here. And, maybe, and let's just get into this verse here. John chapter 3, verse 16. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and his only Son, that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God sent his one and only Son, that whoever would believe in him. That's what we celebrate today, this Easter. You know, Christmas is a time that we celebrate that God loved the world so much that he gave. And today we celebrate that whoever believes in him does not perish but have eternal life. Have you ever thought about gifts and how that works? I don't know, maybe you don't. I, I, I kind of do from time to time. But most of the time when you give a gift, a gift has an expectation to it, doesn't it? I mean, there's expectations with gift. If, if, if you give a gift, people give it to you because they think you're going to like it. Nobody really gives a gift and goes, I hope they hate this gift. I really spend a lot of time picking this gift out. I, I hope they, they hate it. Um, you know, uh, they expect that you're going to use it. And that you're going to wear it. You ever got a gift that you have to wear? Yeah, I know. Uh, like that ugly Christmas sweater, right? Thank God the snow is melting. So, so and when you give gifts, people want to thank you, right? I mean, most of the time people like to be thanked for a gift. I mean, I don't, anybody else get mad if, like, they don't just say thank you? Anybody? I'm old school. I guess I'm the only one. The rest of you are lying going to hell. But I'm just saying... <laughs> you know, when you send a gift, it's like, can you not just like, write me a thank you code note and, and just put a little stand? Or, you know, business, they, they, they call it ROI, return on investment. You know, um, what, what am I going to get for what I'm investing? I'm going to gift this to you. It has expectations. Gifts, most of the time, gifts have expiration. Ever thought about that? They have a shelf life. Anybody think about that? I mean, like, like um, it's a use-by date. Like, if you don't use this gift by a certain time, here's what's going to happen. Like, for instance, in your refrigerator or any, any perishable items that you get from the grocery store, there is a stamp. Somebody is in an office that decides how long that cottage cheese is going to be good for, right? How long that gallon of milk is good for. How long those beanie weenies in a can in your cupboard is good for. And there's a stamp. I mean, even on, like, government rations, I mean, there's a stamp. And it tells you that. And so if you use those items beyond that date, something's wrong with you. Or something's going to be wrong with you, right? Hello? Now, my house, just, I'm just going to just be honest. In my house, I'm like, I'm really big about this. Because I know this is crazy. I wasn't born with a sense of, um, of smell. I, I can't, I know, look at me. Can he taste? Do I look like I can taste? And so, but I wasn't born with a sense of smell. So I can't, I can't like sniff it and go, is it good or not? So I, I live by those expiration dates, man. I mean, that's like life and death to me. That's like if I'm going to be sick and then be out for a day, Montezuma's revenge, or, you know, if everything's going to be all right. And my wife is notorious for like, eh, I'll just smell it, see if it's good, go on. She has total disregard for this office that the government gives a lot of great money 
to keep us healthy. And so there are times I'm like, Tammy, did you realize that the mayonnaise I've been using all week on sandwiches has been expired for six months? And her response is, does it taste bad? I don't know, Tammy. I just ate it. Well, did you get sick? I guess not. Well, it's fine then. Just put it back in the refrigerator. I mean, I'm like, no, 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 you can't do that. And it's really bad with leftovers, right? Because you have no idea. Is something growing on it, Aaron? Is it, is it molded? I don't really want to check it out that deep. I just want to know, you know, is it... Gifts are like that. Gifts have a shelf life. There's a certain amount of time. Most of the time, people expect you to use a gift or whatever. But when God sends Jesus Christ, he sends him with no expectation and no expiration. For God so, that word so means without strings. Love the world that he gave. As we celebrate on Easter, John 3.16, no expectation, no expiration, no strings attached. Why? Because of the word that he uses there in in verse 16. Because whoever believes, that word whoever I want to talk about that just a little bit today. Whoever believes in him. Whoever believes in him will be saved. The best example of whoever, I think, is found in the story of the crucifixion. So if you have your, if you're still in the book of John, if you'll turn over to John chapter 18, we're going to kind of, kind of, we're going to kind of go through verses 29 all the way through 19, verse 16. I'm not going to read all of that, but I want to walk you through that passage. It's a story of Jesus going to the cross. I mean, you, you, if you've been to church at all, if you've been to church for an Easter service, I'm sure you've heard it, but... It's the story of Jesus going to the cross. But there's one character that just completely interrupts this narrative. His name is Barabbas. He's an incarcerated murderer, rebel. Uh, He's led a government insurrection. I mean, this guy is bad stuff. And John, who writes his own view, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all four disciples, the Gospels, and they're writing their first-hand account of what's going on. John kind of gives a lot of insight into this. He said the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders of the day, they want Jesus to be crucified. They're the ones that take Jesus to the Garden of Gethsemane. They already have their own little trial with him. But because of the Old Testament law, they cannot kill him. So they have to appeal to Pilate. Now, Pilate basically is like a governor. He's a Roman official. He oversees Israel. Israel is under uh, Roman occupation. And, and so they basically go to, to Pilate with this charge that Jesus claims to be king of the Jews, the son of God. Now for Israel, the problem with it is, is that they look, view it as blasphemy, that he's exalting himself to the name and the power and the glory of God. But for Rome, the issue that Pilate would have with this is that Rome occupied multiple nations because they were the most formidable power on, on, the, on the face of the planet at that time. And so basically what Rome would do with any occupied country is they'd allow them to keep their own traditions, their own religions, their own practices. The only thing they could not do is exalt themselves above that of Caesar, which would mean to claim that someone is king or God. That's where they crossed the line. You could worship any god you wanted to. You just couldn't have any kind of governmental revolutionary activity that would exalt yourself as king. That would be punishable by death, i.e. the cross. So Pilate interrogates Jesus, and basically the Bible says in John's gospel that he finds no fault with him. Pilate even has Jesus taken and beaten within an inch of his life, uh, trying to appease these these Jews, trying to appease these religious leaders of the day. And and in a last-ditch effort to save Jesus' life, he has this powerful interaction that John records between Jesus and between Pilate. John chapter 19, verse 10 and 11 
Pilate says to Jesus, do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you realize that I, Pilate, have the power to free you or to crucify you? I love Jesus' response in verse 11. You would have no power over me if it weren't given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of greater sin. Jesus is basically saying, this isn't a tragedy, Pilate. This isn't tragic what's about to happen to me. And by the way, FYI, you're not in charge. The crucifixion's not a murder. It's not a tragedy. It's the plan. It's the purpose of an almighty, loving, gracious God. And Pilate thinks, man, I hold the destiny of Jesus in my hands. I have the power of this in my hand. He also thinks to himself that it's Passover time. And every year at Passover, uh, this Jewish celebration, that he would release one prisoner to the people, back to the people. And so he thinks to himself, I'm going to set up the ultimate popularity contest. I don't know if you've ever looked at it this way, but this is really what happens. I'm going to put Jesus on one hand, this King of the Jews, this Messiah. The only thing he's ever done to these people is feed them, love them, bless them, heal them. Because seven days before, he's coming into the city of Jerusalem riding on this donkey and the people line the streets because it was, he becomes so well known and they're singing with, with palm branches which is where we get our Palm Sunday from. Glory to God in the highest. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And I'm going to put him up there and maybe the people, maybe the crowd will talk some sense into these religious leaders, these Pharisees. And then I'm going to put the most rogue, horrible criminal, vile criminal that I can get from these people. And Barabbas, that's who I'll get. I'll put Barabbas up there. They will surely choose Barabbas. I'll let the people choose, Pilate thinks. I want to wash my hands of this. And when you think about it for a minute, the gall, the nerve, the audacity of Pilate, as he presents Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, the one who was there at the formation of the world, the one who left the glory and the splendor of heaven to come to this earth, make of himself no reputation, walk this earth. Why? Just to be there on that stage to die for our sins. And then Barabbas? Pilate presents these two. It's like the People's Choice Award. It's, it's, like, it's like dancing with the stars. It's like with no dancing. It's, it's, it's like American Idol. It's like you choose. Uh, you get the popular contest. You, whoever wins a popularity contest, whoever the people says can go, can go. And this just goes to show that we the people are not always right. That the crowd and the popular opinion in the world in which we live in doesn't always choose correctly. And as I read this, I go, God, no, there's no way this should be. Why should Jesus have to endure this popularity contest? What humiliation. He's your son. He's God. And then I remember it's not the people who decided. Or Pilate. Or the religious leaders of the day. They didn't put Jesus on the cross. It was love. It was sovereignty. It was God himself. Look, John chapter 18, verse 39 and 40 records this. This popularity contest. But it's your custom for me, Pilate says, to release to you one prisoner at the time of Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? And they shout about, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. And now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Another version of the Bible says Barabbas was a rebel. Another version of the Bible says Barabbas was a murderer. And Barabbas, the people choose Barabbas. 
At this point, Jesus is standing there on this stage. He's chained. He's been beaten. He's been mocked. And Jesus came to save these people that are now turning against him. He came to save and to suffer for them. At this point, if it had been me, I don't know about you, but if it had been me, I'd be like, peace out, Girl Scout. You don't want me. I don't want you. See ya. Don't want to be ya. I mean, it'd be done. Right? Why do I want to die for you? You don't even love me. Jesus' response, the Bible says he stands silent, beaten in chains, awaiting death. And Barabbas is like, the people love me. They can't get enough of me. I don't even know who this Jesus is. There's no thank yous to Jesus. There's no, hey, I owe you one. Hey, can I do something for you? There's no remorse. There's no contrition. And Jesus is totally like, it's okay. Because he knew the father would have to treat Jesus like Barabbas so that he could treat Barabbas like Jesus. And Pilate the whole time thinks he's in charge. Barabbas thinks that the people are there to set him free. No, the reality is it was the love of God the Father that did it. I think that video is a stained glass of the 21st century. So with that in mind, I want to take you back 2,000 years ago to show you a clip from the Passion of the Christ that I think does an incredible job depicting this popularity contest. Check this out.
get an idea of how vile Barabbas really was. And then you stop to think for a second, who is Barabbas? Barabbas is me. Do you know the name Barabbas means son of a father? It's interesting. The son of God comes to say the son of a father. That's you, that's me. Sons and daughters of Adam, born into sin, with all of our junk, with all of our issues, with all of our bondage, with all of our chains, and we deserve it. Yet Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us. He loved Barabbas, even though there's no record of Barabbas turning to God. There's no record of of the New Testament church of of Barabbas giving his life to Jesus. I mean, if he would have, that would have been a big deal. I mean, people, he'd have been on the preaching circuit, right? I mean, he'd have been in every synagogue from from here to Galatia. I mean, they they would have had him saying, hey, this is the one who, he took Jesus' place. I mean, what what a great, I mean, he'd have been writing books and everything, right? You know, I took, Jesus took my place. I mean, right? You people read the Bible way too spiritually. There's no... But yet Jesus dies for Barabbas. God loved Barabbas. You and me, we're Barabbas. I mean, I'll never understand it. I'll never understand the height of God's love. I'll never understand the depth of his love. I'll never understand how wide it is. I'll never understand the length of it. Because in and of myself, I just go, you know what? Maybe there's something I got to do, and I got to be good, and I got to be this, and I got to be that. And, and when I come to the end of me, I realize, no, it has nothing to do with me. When Jesus said it's finished, it was finished. There's nothing else that I can do. I can't add to that. It's by grace that I'm saved, and through faith, and that not of myself. The Bible even says that when we were sinners, that's when Christ died for us. I love that. That flies in the face of religion. It flies in the face of every pious Christian around the world that says, I've got to be this, and I've got to be that, and I've got to be this. It flies in the face of people that demand the law to realize that the law is unable to keep me. It's only by grace that I'm saved. It's that amazing grace. Because how many times, think about this just for a second, how many times have you stood on that platform with Pilate in the middle, The Roman soldiers around. Jesus beaten, chained, and shackled. Awaiting death. Standing there silently. And you. Not Barabbas. See, he represents every one of us. And it's in those moments where they start to take my chains off. And I go, no, 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 no. I deserve this. I messed up. You don't understand. Don't, don't. Jesus didn't do anything. And Jesus looks at me and says, no, 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 no. Let, let me take the sin. No, God, you, you don't understand. I, I'm not good. I mean, I act like I'm good at church, but I'm really messed up. I'm really jacked up. And he says, I understand, but let me take the shame. Let me take your pain, Aaron. You were never built to handle it. But God, I deserve it. It's my sin. You know no sin. You were tempted and tried in every way, yet without sin. And he says, no, Aaron, give it to me. 
And I find myself holding on to my own chains because I think there must be something I can do and something I can be. And, and, and I know that's kind of morbid because sometimes it satisfies some type of self-righteous part of us to think, well, I deserve it or I'll take it or I'll just work harder and I'll just do better only to fall again and again and again. Why? Because I'm flesh and blood. I'm not righteous. My sins are as a filthy rags in the sight of a holy God. And I will never be smart enough. I will never be theologically sound enough. I will never be good enough. I will never live the life enough to attain that. And so I stand there as the Roman soldiers are undoing my chains and setting me free. And Pilate's washing his hands of the situation because he wants nothing to do with it. But, but what if I do it again, Jesus? What, what, what if I mess up? What if I fail? What if I come up short? I'll be here for you. I've paid the price. That's why they call it amazing grace. Unmerited favor. Because in the end, it's Christ alone. In the end, it's His mercy. In the end, it's His grace. In the end, it's His salvation. Do you understand that? You and I can't do anything. We are lost in our sins. We are helpless. We are hopeless. There is no other way out. You cannot give your way out. You cannot live your way out. You cannot preach your way out. You cannot educate your way out. You can't do enough acts of of compassion or kindness to give your way out of this. It's Him. I can't earn it. I can't buy it. I don't deserve it. And they're letting me go free. Knowing that he's awaiting. He's going to take the punishment for my sins. He will be beaten and broken for my iniquity. He who knew no sin will take on sin for me. And in that moment where he bears the sins of me and of everybody else that's ever lived, God himself will have to look away from his only son because he can't bear the sight. And they're taking my chains off and they're letting me go free. And the people are saying, free him, free him. And the greatest challenge that I have and you have is not about discipline or, or our discipleship, or our devotion, or our work. The greatest challenge that we have is simply believing that the gospel, that the good news is simply that simple. That grace like that really exists. That it really is as simple as John 3.16 says, For God so loved you and me that he gave because in every world in every area of our world there are strings attached to those gifts there are expectations attached to those gifts there there are expiration dates attached to those gifts but not this gift of Jesus it's for humanity take it leave it do what you want to do with it walk away like Barabbas did and never look back at Jesus or drop to your knees and stand in front of a holy God and say God I am not worthy Please let your, your son Jesus Christ come in and take away my sins. But God's grace is that wide. Do you understand that? God's not in the heavenlies with some chalkboard that, and, and, and eraser with a piece of chalk that's right in your name and name the lamp took a light and you do something wrong and he erases it. He upholds you, the Bible says, in his righteous right hand. David said, if I ascend to the heavens, God, you are there. And if I descend to, to the depths of hell, you are there. How can I escape you? This grace that's wide, that's deep, that's vast, that's encompassing. Because when I give my sin to Jesus, I get to stand in this sweet space of forgiveness and acceptance 
That's what I've longed for. I don't know about you, but I long for someone to know me. The dark side of me. The weak side of me. The fleshly side of me. Not the Pastor Aaron side that stands on the platform, but all of my issues and all of my insecurities and all of the stuff in me. And look at me and say, I love you. It's what Jesus does. And I'm walking away. And Jesus is being led to the cross that I deserve. I'm walking away and I began to hear the soldiers throw him to the ground only to pick him back up again to beat him. I'm walking away and I hear the blood as it splatters. I'm walking away and you go, that's graphic. Do you ever have any idea what they did to him? I mean, Hollywood is, is come short to compare what it would be like. And I stand there as a free man. As I look into his eyes. Those eyes of love and compassion and forgiveness. And I realize, I don't deserve this. I am Barabbas. But that's what he means by, and whoever believes in me will be saved. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. I'm just the sinner. He is the Savior. I'm the failure. He is the victor. I am the nothing. And He is my everything. You want freedom today? Look at the man on the middle cross. He's your answer. You need forgiveness today? Don't don't look to the church. We're as jacked up as anybody. Look to the one who knew no sin, who took your sin for you and cast it as far as the east is from the west. You want complete acceptance today? You want to swim in grace that you'll never be able to go from one side to the other? You'll never be able to reach the bottom? You'll never be able to go around it because it's so large? It's Jesus. It's that simple, folks. And on this Easter weekend, the Easter story is just a story. Until you put yourself in it and you realize that Jesus is your substitute.